Welcome to One to One, the conversational marketing podcast dedicated to helping modern marketing teams succeed in a messaging first and privacy first world. In each episode, we'll interview a marketer who is winning with conversational marketing to distill best practices, lessons learned, and actionable takeaways. Here's your host, Benji Baer, VP of Marketing at Spectrum. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening to One to One, the conversational marketing podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Joe Anahalt, VP of Marketing for Koyo, a luxury footwear brand. Joe, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Ben. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on the podcast. I think it seems like you have a lot of digital marketing background and a lot of uh, different fields I'd love to dive into. I think before we get started, can you tell us all a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you ended up at your current role as VP of Marketing at Koya? Yeah, absolutely happy to. And as we were just speaking before, originally from the Midwest, so grew up in a town called Normal, Illinois about two hours south of Chicago, and uh, went to DePaul University for undergrad as soon as I could get to the quote-unquote big city. Yeah, wanted to get there as soon as possible. And after undergrad, got in early at a tech startup. And and that's really where I first drank the startup entrepreneurship Kool-Aid. It was at a company called Spot Hero, which if you're from Chicago and the Midwest, that means something to you. It's not as well known around the country. Also, if you have a car, you probably know about it. But I was, I think, employee three or four there. They had just finished Accelerator Labs, which is now Techstars, and just kind of rocket ship trajectory growth. So was there just for three years, but saw massive growth, the company side, and me personally, right? I started just as like a copywriter and, and kind of quote-unquote content creator, which didn't really exist back then. But that turned into email marketing and organic social and understanding some paid social and paid search, a lot of SEO work, and really just kind of the full funnel. You know, how do we acquire customers? How do we get them to stick with our product? Right. At that time, we had yet to even launch a mobile app. So it was fun to kind of be through that early journey as well. It's kind of crazy to think that we were slow to develop an app. Anyway, it was a really fun learning experience for me. Again, where I drank the startup Kool-Aid and we were working at co-working space. And after a few years there, just wanted to work at a firm that was a bit closer to my interests and lifestyle. So wasn't the big fan of the parking industry. Still have a lot of friends that work there and obviously appreciate everything I learned, but shifted my attention to the kind of more traditional e-com D2C space and worked at Interior Define. It's a furniture retailer, also based in Chicago. They've exploded through the pandemic, opening a lot of retail stores around the country. It's becoming a bigger name within that category. And did a lot of the same things that I was doing at Spider, but got to implement them at Interior Define. Was the first marketing hire there. So really navigating a lot of not just performance, but also on the brand side, you know, working with the founder, positioning. And, you know, how do we pitch the brand to people and kind of the value proposition, which is this highly customizable furniture option, right? Which is not well known in the market at the scale we were trying to execute. But that was, again, a really fun moment for me in my career. And then after that, just wanted a geographical change. So I moved to New York four and a half, five years ago. And I told myself I didn't want to do another early stage consumer brand, but just kind of fell into Koyo and have been really fortunate. So yeah, started there. The former head of marketing had left about a month before I moved to New York and they were looking for somebody with 
a similar skill set and spoke with Johannes and Chris, the founders, and you know they sold me on what they were building. And it was, again, just exciting to take everything that I've learned and implement it from the ground up at, at Coyo. And so, yeah, that's what I've been doing for the past four, four and a half years. And it's been a journey through the pandemic. Selling $300 luxury shoes was a challenge, but I'm really fortunate to have been able to live through that and work through that, right? Especially in our space and in our category, it's, it's been a big challenge, but yeah, that's how I got to where I am today. Nice. Yeah. Thank you for that overview. I'm sure we can get into some of the challenges that you're seeing or that you kind of lived through with the pandemic at Koyo as well. But I think just for listeners out there, I'm also based in Brooklyn, as you probably know by this point, but I'm currently in the Midwest as well. I'm in Michigan up north. So I think I have some affinity for uh, the brands you're talking about and also Chicago in general. You know, you mentioned having the background in SEO, paid social, then working on the brand side more. Like, I would love to dig into you mentioned you didn't think you'd work at an early stage uh, D2C venture again. I can imagine maybe some of the things that make you not want to do that, but what convinced you or what were some of the things that originally put you off that? What put me off to it was I just had done it before. You know, I had been from zero to five a couple of times before, and I wanted to see my teeth into a more established firm, right? Somebody who has deeper pockets to play with, right? When you're an early stage company, you're really scrapping for every new customer, for every window of opportunity to optimize your acquisition costs and improving your repeat rates and things like that. And as anyone knows, it's just a grind. It really is every day. You know, how do you sit down and think, how can I grow this business as efficiently as possible? Right. And you know, you literally have everything at your disposal, but you have no resources, right? You have no financial pockets, you have no team, right? So you really just have to be very scrappy. And so I was like, do I want to do that again? And I thought, no, I don't. So I wanted to do like agency route, bigger firm. But every time I kept knocking on these doors, I just wasn't super excited. And the ability to step into a leadership role at Coyo and really help steer the ship and just have more autonomy. And I really, and I still to this day, wanted to join an early stage firm and build it to an exit, right? At Spot Hero, at ID, I only got a snippet of that early stage. And I didn't see it through the end. And that's what I'm putting a lot of value in right now is being able to be part of that entire journey, right? That entire arc. And, you know, I will say it does take a bit longer than I thought. Again, just being naive and not having the experience, you know, I thought we were going to be just kind of this, you know, I hate to say like the cliche, like the unicorn or that rocket ship startup. But the reality is, the market that we're in, our price point, also, you know, obviously the macro climate of COVID, that just like isn't a reality, right? Yeah, but back to the main question, I was just excited to be the leader and have more autonomy and work with Chris and Giannis, who just really appreciated their background as well and thought I could learn a ton from them. And I'm still really pleased with that decision. And it's definitely been a roller coaster for the past four or four and a half years. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, I think. Like you said, it's always the opportunity to learn is an exciting one as a marketer, right? To join, not necessarily having the deep pockets, but like you said, having the autonomy to actually implement a vision and move really quickly is what's appealing. And you know that from seed to IPO, we all love to think that it's a straightforward rocket ship trajectory, but I think it's usually comes down to a lot of luck and good timing too. And I think a pandemic 
inflation and all kinds of supply chain issues, what's going on right now, I'm sure there are plenty of roadblocks along the way to that rocket ship journey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you touched on something that I feel myself to at Spectrum, right? The ability to move quickly, like you don't always have the deepest pockets, but it can also be a lot of fun to build that brand and develop the journey along with the founders as well. I mean, yeah. I think seeing where you've kind of come from, the different marketing disciplines that you've had experience, that the chance to learn through, what are you seeing today? You know, how would you summarize the current state of digital marketing and what are some of the things that are, are on your radar at Coyo? This has been a growing trend and I feel like it's still at its infancy, but I still feel like, you know, storytelling, content, creators, you know, social creators as well with like the TikTok world has blown up, obviously. And just think, especially I'm, I'm speaking very specific to like the DTC community, right? And like the early brands, kind of the digitally native vertical brands to steal and, you know, old school Andy Dunn verbiage. We are essentially all becoming these entertainment companies and entertainment firms. You know, how can we capture people's attention through content that is entertaining first and foremost, right? And I think that's been true for a few years. And I think that's going to be true for the near term, right? So it's kind of this race to build some type of, yeah, entertainment company, entertainment brand, content first, right? Especially in our category footwear, it's extremely competitive, right? And you can get a pair of white sneakers literally anywhere at any price point, right? So how do we tell our story? How do we craft that narrative? How do we match the perceived value with the actual value of our product, right? So I think that's been a growing trend and is still very important today. And then also, you know, this rush to first-party data, right? And really understanding your customers. But more importantly, something that has kind of hit me in the past six to eight months is understanding who your best customers are and try to find more of those people, right? You know, not every customer is worth the same amount of time that you should give them, right? Somebody who buys once versus somebody who buys 10 times, you need to be spending 10x more time and effort on that customer as opposed to the first one, right? Not all customers are created equal. I really don't like the old school, you know, the customer is always right because that one-time purchaser versus that 10-time purchaser, sorry, but that person is not right in my eyes, right? I really don't have the time or the bandwidth to dedicate 10x time on that person, right? So it comes down to understanding who that 10x customer is. And that's really hard, right? And especially with little to no software tools to, to help define this, it's a lot of just hacking through spreadsheets and pivot tables and, and building out your own cohort analysis and, and things like that. And a lot of customer surveys and getting on the phone with people or just talking to people in stores, if you have that, those fundamentals are still very key. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we touched on a lot of great things there from, I guess, D2C. The D2C brands were really kind of born of social, right? And of yeah. owning that customer data and owning the relationship with their customers directly. And then also, I think, are so used to being super agile, right? Like turning performance channels on and off, being able to just move at the speed of light is the strongest benefit. But there's also the need to also maybe take pause and think, okay, like straight up customer acquisition is not always the goal. Like, let's think about lifetime value. Let's think about how we grow revenue per customer. And let's double down on the customers awesome. that we get the most money from, right? So I think you mentioned kind of hacking together through spreadsheets, not using a lot of tools. So you kind of answered part of my next question, which was going to be, how are you doing that segmentation in the cohort analysis? How are you doubling down on those most successful customers? Can you Talk me through a bit of your process. And then maybe once you've identified a really high value cohort, what's kind of the next step that you use to activate it? 
So I'd say we have a ton of learnings on the, I'd say like top tier veneer of cohort analysis. So, you know, monthly and then by acquisition channel. So we have three essentially right now. It's like wholesale, which is a very small part of our business, e-commerce and then retail as well, right? So of those three kind of customer segments, which ones are yielding, you know, the biggest thing for but. But what's interesting is even just looking at those three variables and then month over month, we can understand like what initiative we had firing, let's say January of last year, right? Oh, okay. Like, you know, their lifetime value is 23% higher than months surrounding that, right? So then you kind of continue asking those questions and just digging a bit deeper, right? Oh, like we had a sale the month prior and then maybe we had a new product launch the month after that, right? So you can start to see like, oh, this is forming a recipe for success, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, so we've gotten really good. I'd say like that's kind of like baseline, right? So like monthly and then by by channel, right? First channel order, let's say. So less about like acquisition channel, I'd say, but like where does your first order take place? And then the next layer for us, we do sell both men's and women's products. Okay, by gender, right? And then what I'd love to do next, which we're trying to work towards with support from a few like other like startup BI tools is by channel, right? So a Facebook acquired customer versus like search versus affiliate versus creator, right? And once we get there, I'll feel really confident and understanding, you know, who the best customers are and what that recipe is. Yeah, just fine tuning that recipe. But one thing that I know we can get better at as well is just literally asking people. We have a post-purchase survey, you know, where did you first hear about us? Things like that. But just emailing people, like getting on the phone, like we're still relatively small. We have a lot to learn. And I feel like those types of conversations are always valuable. You know, as a marketer, you're never going to regret talking to a customer and getting some anecdotal evidence and data points, right? It's not going to be the end-all be-all for driving everything you do, but it's just another data point that can, again, help crystallize this recipe that is ongoing and, and never finished. Yeah, I think digital marketers today, they love, you know, we're all into hardcore conversion rate optimization, you know, like A-B testing, multivariate testing, doing all the landing page stuff, personalization. And that's great. Like it does help you lift conversion rates piece over piece. But ultimately, sometimes you get the best insights just from like going out and talking to people that are using your product. And I think it's easy to forget that piece of it. I want to maybe go back to something you said in the previous answer too, which is like all companies should be media companies because I think it's something that's true for pretty much every industry you're in now. I feel like I'm in B2B enterprise SaaS and marketers in that space too. It's like that's how you differentiate your brand, right? Is embracing content and embracing the fact that you should be a media company first and that's how you build affinity with your brand as well. Can you maybe walk through some of the things that you're doing to do that at Koyo? And then you also mentioned that you kind of have this distinction between different channels, like whether it's wholesale, retail, e-com, things like that. Can you speak to what channels you're seeing perform best and maybe the data differences between them? Since you talked about first-party data, I'm sure that some channels yield more data to allow you to fine-tune that recipe that you mentioned too. For sure. Yeah. At Koyo, we've really just turn everyone into a content creator because the reality is it's, it's really hard to right, to always be churning out this type of content and be entertaining and, and be valuable. You know, We're also not all professional creators, right? So not every piece of content is going to be five out of five. Some are going to be done, right? But we understand the value and the importance of it. And really people, especially in, in footwear, there's always going to be friction in sizing, right? That's always going to be an uphill battle for us, right? And returns, which is 
one of our biggest challenges and it has been one of our biggest challenges from day one. And, you know, we're always trying to do things to mitigate that. But people want to see the product in action, in motion, right? If you're a female customer, you want to see it styled. If you're a male customer, you want us to literally rip the shoe in half and tell you each component of it, right? Where the material source from, what kind of stitching we're doing, what the tanneries are that we're working with. Is it uh, chrome stick sanding or something less, right? Is the leather LWG certified, right? And that takes a lot of communication. And no one wants to read a white paper from Koyo about our sustainability efforts, right? So you have to make it entertaining and fun. And nine times out of 10, that means it's going to be a video, a talking head, a animation, a interview, a, you know, we're in one of our factories in Italy or, you know, something else like that, right? So it comes down to that entertainment, that education, and that helps obviously differentiation. But really, if, again, if you're able to capture somebody's attention, we're still very much in the attention economy and creators are the best at cultivating and capturing that attention, right? Because you can just make entertaining stuff. So yeah, everyone's become creators. We're always thinking about like, hey, what can we do different? What fun idea can we do? You know, our brand has been pretty buttoned up for a while. You know, we want to be this luxury, more striving to attain this lifestyle. And so because of that, our content production hasn't been as easy to, to come by. But honestly, TikTok has allowed us to be more casual and just churn out more content for us. So that, that's been fun for us is just to be yeah a bit more casual. And so what that does is, again, just lowers the threshold for us to produce content because we can do that with an iPhone now with, with no budget, you know, as opposed to hiring a videographer or a full production that costs five, 10, you know, sometimes $15,000. So that's been a big shift for us culturally. It's been fun. It's been a little scary getting behind the camera and sometimes getting in front of the camera. But it's also been a, a fun kind of team bonding moment for us, you know, just like pulling people aside, thinking through ideas. It's really fun to do that in the office. Yeah, I want to, before you move on to the other part, I think there's, yeah. I've talked to a lot of people, even on this podcast too, where they, they mentioned that, right? The trade-offs between trying to keep everything so buttoned up, really yeah. honing the brand, trying to control the brand versus letting the brand kind of run wild in culture, in, in social. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, what you've touched on too, like the ability of TikTok to lower the thresholds of production and ultimately probably put a bit more, make it more fun. And I'm sure your customers feel that too in the types of content that come out and it probably comes across as more authentic to that extent too. Yeah. And it's allowed us also to react to certain trends quicker, right? If we see maybe one of our past collaborators come up in the news, we can bring that story back up to the, to the forefront and it's relevant. So that's also been something that's been nice. It's just the ability for us to move quicker because we don't have these, you know, high production standards anymore. Yeah. And then going back to, I guess, the other question in terms of some of the channels that you've seen work best versus least, and maybe some of the differences you mentioned first party data and kind of what you can collect and then how you can act on that data. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So in terms of like acquisition channels, paid social is still working for us quite well. Facebook, Instagram, we, we've made our first in-house acquisition like manager hire, which has been fantastic. We shifted away from agency world to in-house. And yeah, our ROAS increased, our cost acquisition decreased, just because these platforms take little pushes and pulls every day. right? And then they take that maintenance, I'm sure you know better than anybody. Um, and just having somebody all day, every day kind of fine-tune that has been a big win for us. And you know, even with the lack of or you know, having less data, we're, we're still seeing that platform do a lot of the heavy lifting for us, right? 
And then another interesting channel for us that we have continuously seen work is YouTube. So back to my point about how our male customers specifically really want to do a deeper dive on our products. You know, this is a considered purchase. You know, a $300 sneaker, we have a ton of boots coming out this fall. They're going to be, you know, $350, some $400. You know, that's a considered purchase. You know, you're not going to see, ooh, Facebook ads, somebody jumping around and then boom, you're going to buy, right? You're going to do your research. And guys love to go to YouTube. You know, that's just the reality of it. They love to do deep dives. And so it's interesting. I mentioned this before, but our post-purchase survey, one of the questions is where you first hear about Coyo and pretty high percentage, you know, month over month, it's YouTube, right? So it's people using that as their main search engine and then watching videos of these creators doing a deep dive on our product. So we're trying to double down on that. Scaling that obviously is challenging because you have to work directly with these creators. And that's what I'm, to be clear, I'm talking about working with like creators, you know, less on, um, mm-hmm. you know, pre-roll ads, mid-roll ads, things of that nature. We don't see as much success with those efforts, but really finding these fashion and boot experts and sneaker experts, you'd be surprised at how deep that well is on YouTube. But yeah, it makes sense because again, our customers want to do a lot of research and some due diligence on the product that they're going to spend three, 400 bucks on before they buy. So trying to double down on that. It is challenged to scale just because you have to, it's a lot of like, it's like a sales process. You know, you have to find your prospects, negotiate, execute, follow up, understand if the campaign worked or not. But yeah, paid social, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and then uh, YouTube. Those have been two really strong channels for us for, for some time now. And then we're still trying to get TikTok to work, paid and organic. We're, we're out there trying every day, but we haven't had, hit a home run there. And then lately, this is like a very specific one, but it's top of mind. So I was talking with our head of acquisition. Google is transitioning from Google Shopping to Performance Max. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if any other marketers out there are struggling with this, but it's very black box. Google's not telling us much. And so that's been a struggle for us as of recent. Again, not like a huge channel that we can scale, but you know, we do see a decent amount of consistent performance from that week over week, month over month. So Josh and I, Josh, the, the head of acquisition, we're both just kind of scratching our heads. So if anyone out there is listening and wants to shoot us a note to help us out or just kind of navigate this together, let us know. You heard the man. DM him on, on LinkedIn or you'll find out his contact details at the end of the day. But if you have an insight, please, please share. And I'll, I'll pass it on if I get it too. I think that Google Performance Max one is a good one, right? Because it's the exact... That's the evolution of where these channels are going, right? They are trying to become black boxes and trusting the algorithm is what they are pushing for. Yeah, It's what they've always done, but I think you're seeing it more and more and more. And like the messaging around it from the platforms is also like, you will get stronger performance if you trust the algorithm. But we also all know that you see it a lot of control. And like you said, with Facebook, you know, I'm shocked that your agency wasn't in your account every single day trying to do the best uh, for your brand. <laughs> but we, were, I, I, <laughs> we definitely weren't their largest client, so I get it. You know, I, I get it. Yeah. It's, it's always a struggle, but... Yeah, Yeah, going in-house gives you more of that control. Also, that's that's you understand what are the levers that are working, right? And how do we, like you said, in the way that you double down on the 10x customer, how do you double down on the creative that works? Like that's something that does require a lot of manual work. Um, I think the YouTube one is also interesting. Like you said, it's about that deep dive. If you're a considered purchase, like you have probably a longer buying funnel, you have a like maybe longer time to purchase and it's like more research involved and particularly in a world where there's like a thousand different brands that someone can choose to buy from, it's also like 
getting the people that have the audiences that where they can tell a message, can tell a story that resonates or can highlight the product feature that, that resonates with them, that has a lot of power. So I'm I'm not surprised you see that work, but thank you for sharing that with the, our listeners because I think there's yeah. a lot that can be unpacked there for other brands too. Absolutely. Um, I mean, as far as personalization is concerned, you know, like there's so much stuff out there as well. Like I think the customer experience and personalizing that experience is something that is a huge challenge operationally, like to scale that is is a challenge. But how are you doing that at Koyo? Are you doing any of it? Are you seeing success with that? And kind of what channels are you using to do that? Yeah, honestly, we're certainly not doing enough. We have, I wouldn't say like one-to-one personalization, you know, we have like the standard abandoned cart flows and browse abandon, And, you know, we can pull in specific products. So each person who gets like, let's say you go to a product listing page and we send you a note after like, hey, what do you think about these? You know, that email is going to be different just because all the products are going to be different, right? So, and we see those work really, really well, right? But I'd say that's the best we're doing in terms of like one-to-one personalization. Again, that's more of like little buckets here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's the race, right? We all, as marketers, you want to be as specific and as segmented as you can. And, you know, how do you scale that, which is always challenging. And I'm always talking to these these tools and these softwares, and they're a bit more expensive than what we're willing to spend right now. But also, I don't want to discount the old school one-to-one conversations, the, the CX, right? The Instagram DMs in our physical retail stores. I feel like at Koyo and, and I think the larger D2C community dramatically undervalues uh, retail and just physical stores, right? Especially like post-pandemic. I do feel that people are going to be doing more in-person shopping than online shopping, just because you're working from home all day. You do everything online. Like it'll be like a treat to like go into a store and, and buy. And so I'm, I'm always trying to keep that top of mind as well, talking to our sales teams. You know, how are our customers today? Like what conversations are you having? And what are the, the main pain points, which we know, right? It's, it's always sizing. It's, it's always price. It's, you know, some style questions as well. But yeah, across the standard segmented email flows, SMS flows, again, handpicking products based on the tools that we're using, and then like CX and retail, and just having this constant feedback loop of what our customers are saying. That, that's been important for us. That's something I learned really early at Spot Hero is just how valuable your, your customer feedback is. And just like always working that into your conversations as a team, and especially as a marketing team. And that's something that we just need to get better at both the one-to-one and just always having that constant customer feedback. Yeah, I think you're definitely not alone there. It is a a struggle for a lot of marketers and teams. I think, you know, we operate in that one-to-one messaging space. I think the Instagram DMs is one that we're also seeing blow up a lot. But I think I like how you connected that to retail as well, because the last episode that just dropped yesterday, actually, I spoke to the marketing director at Indochino, and he was saying a very similar thing, right? He was using like digital acquisition channels that work very well. But then what pulls customers in or what keeps them coming back is also like that offline experience and like the the joy that people get from that experience. And I think there's a lot of opportunities there too, just in messaging, right? Like you can also connect to retail stores and like tell people what's in stock, like, and you can actually scale that. So there's a lot of exciting things there. But like you said, it does always involve bigger investments in software that, you know, require some larger budgets as well. I think the name of the podcast is one-to-one conversational marketing. I think there's a lot of ways that can be interpreted. I think for you, you know, you mentioned one-to-one a few times in that, in that answer as well. Like, what does that 
really mean to you at Koyo? I know you're saying you don't do enough of it, but what would the ideal scenario look like for you? I think we're all striving to this perfect journey for the customer that's just there, right? So based on whatever data we can pull from the customer, maybe they've signed up for emails, they browsed our site, they bought one product before. I want to store all that data somewhere. And then every time they come to the website, it's specific to their past behaviors, right? So maybe the homepage hero is different. The, the homepage copy is different. The product listing pages are merchandised in a way that puts the products that they are likely to buy the most at the top of the page, right? And they may even to like, this is getting super brand new and one-to-one, but like on the PDP, let's say it's, again, what we keep talking about this male customer who loves the videos, the PDP page, there's actually a video of somebody doing a deep dive on the product, right? Because we know that they like that, right? So literally, it's like a different experience across the board, right? And then if they have a CX question page or head of CX, she has all of their information pulled up, right? So she can already speak to everything, you know, not just their past orders, but some other data that we can just aggregate together by these behaviors. That I think is like super cool and interesting. Like how we make that a reality, I have no idea. I know that there are probably some, you know, econ tech firms out there who can do this, right? This kind of like one-to-one experience. But I think that's the holy grail that we're all like striving towards, right? But how to like make that a reality? I don't know. But yeah. I think that's the goal, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you the buyer journey pulling in all the data points, it gets complex very, very quickly. I think we've actually worked with a lot of huge shoe retailers like Deichmann in Europe or like Stadium Goods in the US, you know, smaller brands too. But I think the struggle is is also just activating the data, right? Like collecting it is one thing, but then how, what do you do with it is always a struggle. And so we've seen, I think they've also used similar journeys to what some of the things you're talking about, like let's personalize the messaging journey in real time on like, Instagram and ask people, what's your price point? What size do you want? What style do you want? And then that lowers the barrier a little bit because you're not trying to just like pull data from all of these different systems and find a way to activate it. But you're just like straight up asking your customer and then like doing that personalization in real time. But I think it is, there's so many ways that you can actually do that, that it can feel overwhelming at times. I mean, you touched on a few different trends there or just developments in the marketing space, like what is most exciting to you as far as like looking forward? What's like the most exciting thing in digital marketing? If you had unlimited budget or, you know, what would you want to be doing? Unlimited budget. (laughs) Or even without unlimited budget, like what do you have your eye on? What interests you? What I think is interesting is, this is more like holistic, like not as specific to marketing, but I think, well, I guess it is like the fundamentals of, and I spoke about this earlier, but the fundamentals of customer acquisition costs lifetime value, return on ad spend, you know, unit economics. I feel like marketers, there's all these like CMO roles are always like weird and convoluted and digital marketers. And like, we're a little bit of e-com and marketing and brand and revenue and this, that, and the other. And it's been really fun for me to sink my teeth into the economics and just kind of like business fundamentals, right? So again, more so within a marketing hat, it's that customer acquisition costs and lifetime value and, and finding those heavy haired customers. And that's a really nice trend to see, right? We're, I think, very much past this sunshine and rainbows where venture money is flowing and it's so easy to get checks and it's so easy to acquire customers because Facebook was so easy and we had deep pockets because the market was so frothy. And we're kind of on the flip side of that, right? The market is the opposite of frothy, we're going through, you know, coming out of the pandemic, 
recession is looming, you really have to have those fundamentals down, right? You really have to be trimming the fat, cutting the costs. And on a marketing side, I think you also have to be trimming the fat and cutting the confusion, right? You really have to get to the point a bit quicker. You have to provide as much confidence as you can in your customers as opposed to providing this whimsical story or an abundance of choice, right? People don't want more choice. They want to be feeling more confident in one choice, right? I like to call it like the in-and-out model, like the in-and-out burger, right? The menu is so short, right? There's less decisions to make, which is actually just such a better experience for everyone, right? People don't want to make choices. They're, they're really bad at it. So yeah, I feel like the fundamentals of like the financials and like the economic side of, you know, your unit economics and things like that are coming into the marketing world as well. Again, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse now, but with the acquisition costs, the lifetime value, understanding your customers, growing and building a sustainable business, right? And I feel like a lot of players in the DTC space, it's blowing up in their face right now because they can't sustain the growth. They can't fulfill the promise of, you know, whatever their brand was, right? And we all know who the big ones are out there. And there's hundreds, if not thousands of those small ones that we've never heard of that are no longer around today, right? So as a marketing organization, you can help lead that charge of building a sustainable business and building that foundation because digital marketing today is becoming much more of a numbers game, right? That's all it is, right? You have set costs, you have PL. The fundamentals are very easy, but it really does take every day coming in with that approach and reminding yourself and kind of back to the top of the conversation, you know, sitting down like, how am I going to grow the business today, right? But more importantly, how am I going to grow it in a sustainable fashion, which is really hard, really, really hard. It is. It is. But I think you really hit the nail on the head there with, you know, I? yeah, I mean, it's easy to customer acquisition and lifetime. <laughs> no, but I mean, like the venture, you know, it's easy to show growth when you're flush with cash from venture funding. Like anyone can show rising customer growth. Anyone can do that. Right. The what marketing leaders in particular need to do is show revenue growth, show like not just earnings growth, but like actual profit growth and show that you can grow, do more with less. Right. And I think marketing in a boom time when the market is frothy is not as difficult, right? But marketing in a downturn, like you do have to go back to those fundamentals. And ultimately, if you want to grow a sustainable business, that's what you should be focusing on anyway. So I think it's actually kind of nice as a marketer that that has happened because it does make you get better at your craft. It makes you really like hone in on what matters. Um, So I think that's a really important thing to focus in on. I mean, maybe you've touched on it a little bit in that answer, but I think if you had three, your top three pieces of advice for marketers that, you know, are either marketing in a downturn or want to meet that consumer that is going to look for more recommendations, like more advice on what to purchase versus, you know, how to add more value for the consumer at the end of the day. Like, what would be your advice? I've said a few of these. And yeah, the top of my list was ask yourself, how can I make my customers feel more confident in the purchase, right? And a few ways that we've been doing that at Koyo is, you know, we know what our best sellers are, right? We know what our bread and butter is, right? So lead with that, right? In fashion, in any retail company that has a lot of these like new product launches coming every month, every week, you know, that's really shiny and fun to talk about. But more times than not, what keeps the lights on is going to be that like core product offering, right? So never lose sight of that, right? And continue refining that and optimizing that. The nice new shiny things are always going to be there. Think of that more so as marketing and acquisition. 
But really what keeps the line on it is that core product offering, right? So never lose sight of that, double down on that. How can you, again, reinforce that confidence in that core product offering, whether it's footwear or a SaaS product or whatever have you, double down on that. And again, like in the spirit of trimming the fat, prioritization and startups is key. I feel like it is talked about, but it needs to continue to be talked about, you know, figure out those priorities and stick to them because we can do anything and everything we want because there's no checks and balances. That's good, but I would say it's more bad than good, right? So as a leader, it's hyper important to sit down with your team and understand the priorities and just remind yourself literally every day, like here are the priorities and stick to those, right? It's essential to any business. I just feel like that needs to be said. And then one thing I want to come back to in terms of, yeah, the marketing and consuming, we're all in the entertainment business now, right? So put your creator hat on or your creator shoes on for that matter. And always be testing, always be experimenting and have this mentality of, you know, not everything's going to work, but have fun with it, right? There are a lot of D2C firms out there, ours as well. You know, we're not curing cancer here. You know, I always tell people like I'm a shoe salesman, right? I sell shoes on the internet, like boil it, boil it down to those, to that, that core offering. And you can kind of let yourself go a little bit and, and have some fun with it. So yeah, just kind of lean into that greater environment and, and have fun with it. Yeah, I think those are great pieces of advice. I mean, reassuring customers by making them really confident in their purchase, not losing sight of the core product offering to really lead with that because it ultimately will make the most revenue, um, even though you can offer the shiny thing. Uh, And then the priority one, huge. You know, I think working at a SaaS startup myself, there's a billion things you could be doing. It's easy to just try to do all the things at once and it's a really good way of doing all of them poorly. So knowing how to prioritize and then just doubling down on yeah. that and, and even doubling down, I think, on on your strengths as well. Like, what are you good at? And like, use that to your advantage. I think lots of things that our audience uh, could definitely learn from. I mean, we're getting close to the end of time. Um, so I want to also let you go a little bit. I know we're after time, but I think I'd love to hear like five years from now for you, what's like the future of marketing look like for consumer yeah. brands like Hoyo? Yeah, I feel like this is where I'm supposed to talk about like Web3 or the metaverse, but... Oh, please don't. <laughs> I about it and I, I feel like there's way too many unknowns. And anyway, yeah. I don't have anything to say about that. But I'm honestly curious to see if we're going to flip from this like fluffy brand story to the complete opposite of this like QVC style selling products, just like more black and white. And just like, yeah, less of, less of the fluff, you know, less of the Adam Newmans of the world. I feel like entrepreneurs and startups right now, it's very vision and brand led. And I'm really curious to, to see if we flip to, oh, I want your CEO to be like an ops person, you know, like more of a Tim Cook or more of like an operator, right? Someone who can crunch the numbers, maybe who has a more of like a CFO, right? Less of these, yeah, visionaries and, and things like that. And also on the marketing side, like, is it going to be less brand storytelling? Is it going to be more of the UGC stuff and more real and, and raw? But is it a good product, right? Are mm-hmm. people really going to be a bit more considered what they're purchasing. These are all hopes. I wish I could say what's going to happen in five years. But if you were to ask somebody three weeks before COVID what's going to happen in two years, they would all be 100% wrong. <laughs> so that's also given me a new just insight on who the hell knows what's going to happen. But these, these are some hopes of mine. You know, I hope we move away from this brand vision world into more of a black and white world in terms of you know startups, D2C ecosystem, that, this, that, and the other. And yeah, even more like creator UGC. I, I really like that space. I think it's it's really fun and cool. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot to do with that. You you know, you don't have to rely as much on 
the big four anymore. So that that's really exciting to me. I hope that trend continues as well. Yeah, I think those are, are all really strong points. I would love to see that trend as well. I think it's easy to buy into the visionary founder when markets yeah. are markets oh. are buoyant. Yeah, uh, I was a little sad to see that Neumann got another three hundred and fifty million dollars to build yeah. some ridiculous company. But I think the what you say is is totally right. You know, that I would expect to also see like a turn back to like revenue to sustainable business growth, like in a downturn as well. Like how do we bring in leaders that can create profitable businesses versus businesses that we can just grow and grow and grow without actually thinking of the underlying economics of the business. Joe, thank you so much. This was a really great conversation. I I really enjoyed it. I I loved the the specific avenues that we went down and some of the insights that you've offered from, from your experience in marketing. I think if our listeners want to follow your journey, learn a little bit more about what you're doing, uh, where should they go? I'd say I'm most active on LinkedIn these days. So just, yeah, search Joe and Holt and should easily find me. Yeah, that'd be the best place. Okay, nice. Well, yeah, check out Joe Anhalt on LinkedIn. Remember to DM him if you have any insights yeah. um, on, on his challenges. And also, just as a reminder to all of our listeners, if you want to hear more insights like this, check out One to One, the conversational marketing podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, subscribe or check out spectrum.io on LinkedIn uh, or our website, spectrum.io. Joe, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been really great. And I hope everyone listening uh, got as much insight out of this that I did. Thank you, Ben. Enjoy Michigan. Thank you. 